Thank you for tuning into White Centipede Noise Podcast. Please hit the like button and subscribe to this channel. This podcast is made possible by viewer and listener support. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash white centipede noise. Welcome to White Centipede Noise Podcast. Today my guest is Tommy Carlson of Tridex Rosette. I'm not going to give you a big intro just because I think uh, we're going to get into all that. So welcome, Tommy. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Um, first off, can you just give me a brief and general background of how you, um, your, your first exposure to noise and your background in this, in this sort of music? Sure. Um, <clears throat> noise w- wasn't really, uh, a genre back when I first got interested in noisy music, but, um, I'm born in 71 and, um, uh, I, you know, like seventh grade or so, I uh, started, I had an interest in punk music and then that evolved into uh, hearing about other other types of music, um, just um, being drawn to whatever was more intense, more, uh, well, noisier. Mm-hmm. So that... That could be, at the time, I mean, the first uh, first uh, industrial bands were so SPK, Eisters and the Neubauten, um, Test Department, um, various Swedish tape acts, um, just finding out more names, uh, digging deeper and um, meeting other people who were uh, my age, interested in the same type of music, and um, learning about other other music from from their collections. And um, were you finding about the Swedish stuff at the same time as you were like first discovering like the bigger names like uh, SBK and Neubauten? Pretty much, yeah. Um, at the time. Uh, Growing up in Gothenburg, we had uh, the Radium, the Radium record label. Um, they had, they often organized shows, and um, you could hear stuff like uh, Zbigniew Karkowski and uh, just uh, Mickey von Hauswolf, uh, the other guys around that label. So you 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 were exposed to experimental art, experimental music, and um, uh, also the. We had a the, the the tape scene was was alive. Um, there was a guy in the in the Gothenburg uh, archipelago who uh, who ran a distribution called Slask, and um, he picked up um, all all sorts of music as long as it was on tape, basically. And 
with him, I, I found um, a lot of the um, Swedish tape acts. So um, just to continuously digging deeper and uh, finding out, you know, um, like. At what at what point did you get to like the like what we know of today as harsh noise? Because you're pretty you're pretty active and a fanatic, I would say, of this type of music. Among other, I mean, I know you're a fan of a lot of different kinds of music, but um, at what point did 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 you kind of come across that? I think it was uh, uh, at fourteen fifteen um, through the, through the distribution uh, "Blood of the Christ" Holly Holmes mm-hmm. um, distro. Yeah. Um, he'd bought, he, he, he got the old stock from uh, Pop and Roll Family, who were the main distributor until then. Uh, and he, uh, through his uh, mail order list, I, I, I got tons of stuff Malthausen Orchestra, Ramley, White House. Um, yeah. Really, as you know, I, I, I was basically interested in getting the most harsh stuff. Yeah, and, um, and this was when it was coming out. This was when it was directly from the artists. I'd say, I'd say, you know, um, like maybe a couple of years late. Sure. So, at at uh, fifteen, sixteen, the 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 Mauthausen Orchestra were 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 no longer around, and uh, White House had quit. Uh, most of the the, the power electronics of postmortem wave was already dead okay but um i didn't know that so (laughs) (laughs) i just kept on picking up tapes and uh, just uh, enjoying whatever i came across Um, that was sure cool um i'm gonna jump in right into something that i wanted to ask about what is the definition of postmortem oh yeah um whatever was uh, um Post-industrial music with uh, with a harsher edge, I'd say. Um, just it could be from the artsy stuff to the experimental stuff to to the pure noise stuff, but mm-hmm. all of lumped together like postmortem, as um, as in coming out of the industrial soil, so to speak, but but not being industrial, just uh, pushing it pushing it further, further into the extreme. Is it true that you coined that phrase? No, <laughs> no, no. Uh, it was, it was used a lot in Sweden. Um, thanks to, uh, uh, basically pop and roll family. They, they, uh, they use the term a lot in their mail order lists and, um, where they got it from, I'm not really sure, but, uh, it, somehow, I, I, I wrote a little text about it in the uh, the liner notes to the RJF. Um, right, read, you did, yes, pardon. yes. Um, so <laughs> please buy that one and read it. <laughs> yes, I did. I I did read it actually. And I'm 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 wondering if I'm spawning that question from something I read there or something I read somewhere else. But for some reason, that for my memory, I uh, I heard someone say that that was that was like first mentioned by you. <laughs> On some message board, I th- yeah, I had I had a, uh, I ran a um, um, an email list, and I'm not sure what year, but uh, late nineties, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, just since there were no websites, no uh, no forums, uh, no real play around to to uh, to talk about that sort of music, I started this uh, mailing list, and it was called Postmortem. Um, I think it was on Yahoo Groups first, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, as as all those things, it it's uh, it's vital for for a while, and then it. Um, it fades away. the um, The input is no longer there, so um, I killed sure. it after a couple of years. And uh, mm-hmm. but maybe that's why people associate the term with um, with me. This episode of White Centipede Noise podcast is brought to you by New Forces. Coming soon on New Forces, the debut full length CD from Mass Marriage, the best kept secret in heavy electronics, a CD of Evil Moisture's classic album Gak, remastered from the original source tape. New cassettes by Cost, Robert Fuchs, and Mott, each offering a unique approach to harsh noise. Visit the New Forces store for older releases and distro titles, including Richard Ramirez, CCCC, Kufar, Aaron Dilloway, Jeff German, Altar of Flies, Kyostad, Sissy Spacek, Killer Bug, and much more. Okay, cool. Now jumping to uh, your project, Trex Rosette, um, the first documented release from the project is sex regular is that correct yeah unless you count the uh the uh, cold meat industry compilation the aesthetics of cruelty i think that was the first track that I ah, okay that got when did that come out i didn't i didn't i, I forgot about that but I'm, I'm not looking at the i think it's 1999 okay yeah so a couple years before sex regular yes okay um what spawned sex regular like what what brought that about like um were you doing were you recording well now you tell me yes you were you were recording as far back as 1999 i also know you've been you've appeared on a couple other things uh dating back to at least 1997 um but um what brought that specific recording about and was that like a result of some a process that had been going on for a while I I had recorded stuff at home for for quite a few years, but never really released anything until then. Um, the next regular recording was um, it happened shortly after, like a week or two after my son was born in uh, two thousand two. Mm. And uh, say it was, you know, uh, after a couple of weeks of uh, basically no sleep and um, just no, uh, it's, it's kind of a chaotic situation, but it's, uh, it's, um, it's, still <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Well, was always, I, I was up one night and, uh, and uh, um, plugged in um, my Ibanez, Delay and my Ibanez Multi Effect and uh, ran some uh, some feedback and um, I recorded um, the whole thing in one session, basically uh, two separate sessions, just overdubbed. But mm-hmm. um, the result was this forty-six minute sex regular, and um, yeah, I was happy with it. So uh, just. The next day, I, I slapped a cover together, and uh, it's like, now it's a tape. 
So that was the first one, yeah. So you produced it first on your own, and then it was later uh, published by Hotband? Yes. Um, yeah, I sent it to uh, Hotband since he's a good friend of mine, and uh, he offered to uh, to release it on his label. And I said, sure, great. So, yeah, first it was private tape and a couple of copies. Uh, I don't have one myself, but... Um, Hotbun released it. I have no idea how many copies, uh, no idea how many went out there. But um, a couple of years later, Gray of Chondritic and uh, Phil of Tronix mm-hmm. wanted to do a CD of it. And um, that was surprising, but uh, <laughs> very well. Which is, of course, my my exposure to it, um, yeah. and I was actually just seeing that. I mean, I bought it back from the label, and I'm quite a, I'm quite sure quite a few were pressed. Like, yeah, like five hundred or a thousand or what? How much was it? I think it was five hundred, but okay, that that seemed like a lot. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, now also not really. I mean, it's also sold out from the label, of course, and it's not really to be found anywhere except hmm. for. Yeah, Discogs prices at this point for the CD. Yeah, yeah um, maybe it should be reissued. I don't know. Re-reissued, yeah. That's yeah, not yeah, a bad yeah. idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Talk to Phil about it. He's been doing that, actually. He's done that with a few things that he's released already. Yeah, if you'd like to do it, I, I'm, I'm game. It's, it's great working with Phil. Uh, super nice guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Phil, uh, Phil is, like, raining heavy again, and... Yeah. yeah. He's mentioned, you know, like every every person I've talked to, every interview, uh, every interview I've done so far, Thronix, either then or now, invariably makes its way like as a significant part of the conversation. Yeah, true maniac. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, good to have him back in 2020. Um, so with Trix, or is it the product has been around for? a good 20 years now, or even a little more. Yeah. Um, in that time, you've only released a little over 10, I think a little over 10, okay, excluding excluding compilations, but 10 releases. That includes some splits. Yeah. That's not including the collaborations you've done, but in any case, um, that's, a, that's quite a, like a, a small number of releases for your average noise project. Um, whereas a lot of people really, a lot of people release 10 a year, you know, um, why, do, why don't you release more music? Well, I've, uh, I've painted myself into a corner there. Haven't I? <laughs> telling everyone else that they release too much. And, uh, I should lead by example, I guess. And, um, uh, well, I, I think I think a lot of people should slow down their pace and maybe sure. maybe uh, yeah, um, slow it down. And I'm, not, I'm not very productive, and I haven't been. You know, um, being a dad, being a, having work, just. There's so much stuff, and uh, recording does take some time. And uh, anyone yeah. who put it done right, you want to be want to happy happy with the results. Um, yeah. And I think I can say that I'm I'm happy with with my output, 
um, most of it's um, most of it's all right, and um, yeah, better to uh, better to try and make a couple of solid solid releases. How often do you how often do you uh, like plug in and play or rehearse? Depends on the uh, on the on the living situation and uh, yeah, uh, not often enough, um, I'd say. Yeah, um, and, but when I do it, it's um, I can have my stuff plugged in for 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 a couple of days and just work on it, and uh, it can take a while to come yeah. up with something that feels right. Um, yeah. So um, I like to have a couple of days off to just focus on our recording. So I don't have mm -hmm. my equipment set up at home at all times. That's mm -hmm. something I'm working on it since uh, now I have the space and I would like to have a, a corner of the apartment just as, as a small studio set up. Mm -hmm. so maybe that but I've said that for a long time. <laughs> Your stuff has a really like played, like live played feel like, like it's always like, which it surprises me because you really play like really, I would say masterfully. Like it's, it's obviously live. It's all obviously like, um, yeah, live to tape. Um, but has like just this insane flow and like, you know, it's like you're playing an instrument, even if it's very rough, it's still like very controlled. Um, so I'm curious, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear that you don't really practice like that often. Is it like that you're not regularly honing that? What, what's your recording process when you do, when you do like get in the mood or have some time? Like how does a, how does a tricks or is it a recording come about that you want to say, okay, this is ready to release now? Like what's the typical, the path to that? First of all, thank you very much um, for the kind words. Uh, it's I like to uh, I like to mix it up and uh, just try try new methods and try new equipment if, mm -hmm. if I have something that I haven't really um, tested. Mm -hmm. Mostly, it's um, yeah, most of it is live to tape, um, which I. A couple of years ago, I thought that it, the recording should be. Uh, um, you, you want to do when you when you get the chance to play live. You want to give it. You want to give it your best, and uh, keeping the home recordings pretty much the same way, uh, live to tape, um, was uh, what I wanted to do to to. Uh, To see what I could come up with without overdubs or uh, any post-production or, mm -hmm. or such. Um, so the process uh, is it, it, different. I, I tried um, last time. I, I did something. I um, I did a room recording with um, tried a different a couple of different mics here at home. Um, Seeing what I could, how it turned out. Um, what were you What were you playing out of, like a like a stereo or an amp? I think I had a separate amp 
with uh, a home a home um, home stereo amplifier just hooked up to uh, to some speakers and uh, ran that through and uh, put up a, um, a microphone in this room. Um, other times it's been uh, live recording from from uh, contact microphones, especially the ones uh, that Pentidasu made from yep. um, awesome and, yeah. and trying out different uh, different recording methods, different mm-hmm. yeah to 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 achieve some sort of what I what I like. It's uh, yeah. Uh, Do you have a specific sound or goal in mind when you go into it? Oh, uh, well, you yeah, sort of. Um, you want it to be. <laughs> You want it to sound uh, really, really harsh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that primary? Is that the primary? Yeah, I, I, I have my own uh, my own preferences, and uh, I, when I get there, I, you can feel no. that. Yeah, this this is it now. Yeah. When you're in the zone, you're in the zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of your recordings, like like. Uh, they are one long track. Last, uh, I think, last release, last solo release you put out was the self-titled or untitled um, tape, which you also then issued on CD, and it's like a C sixty five or yeah. or something like that. And it's just each side is just full with super like a super long, long session. How do you do that? I mean, how how does that how does that work up to? Are you are you like recording playing for a long time before then and then you are finally ready to hit go or how does that work out yeah for those those two tracks uh they're 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 from two recording sessions um so i think uh, i think i record on a on a c90 size so so uh, the full recording is 45 minutes and then i just took my favorite 30 minutes out of that one um, but I like to uh, I like to keep it going, and sometimes you you the tape runs out, and you just <laughs> oh wow, yeah <laughs> yeah, that happens. Um, I think yeah, I, mean, I I I like that you hear that too. I mean, you hear like most of your well, not most of, it, but some of your tracks, like the first track off the the LP on Harbinger, is like fully raging, and then just like it ends like as if like either the tape ran out or, or then it got bad, like you or like got started getting bad or something like that. And you're like, all right, chop it here. Like, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's accurate, but I mean, it has like a really abrupt ending. It very well be. <laughs> I, I don't remember that. I don't remember that exact, that whole recording, the LP recording. That was, uh, yeah, it took a while. I don't really remember the, uh, the recording sessions. I remember just wanting to uh, to get the very very best I could mm-hmm. for that LP since that's, yeah. that's what I consider being my debut. Yeah, yeah. I it's, it's the first it's the first LP that wasn't a reissue. So yeah, wow. no. I mean it, it's uh, it's definitely a milestone for you and for, I mean 
I don't want to gas you up too much, but it's definitely like uh, one of the best best things that's come out in the past few. I mean, it's, it was it was a huge record, I think, for for me and for like most people that are into this shit. So um, yeah. definitely cool that Harbinger put it out. How did you actually? How do you establish a working relationship with Harbinger? I've been because I mean, he, of course, he's been doing no, he's been doing harsh noise stuff for a long time, of course, but um, he releases a pretty wide, uh, eclectic variety of stuff, and I feel like in the last time, it hasn't really been so focused on, you know, harsh noise like, like you do, and that was like um, quite remarkable that he has access to these distributions and record stores, you know, he's like a real label, so to speak with barcodes and all that. And, you know, <laughs> putting out your record is like a pretty bold statement at the same time for him. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate all his work and, uh, that, that he wanted to, uh, to release my LP. Um, I'm, I'm deeply grateful to Steve and it was, it's, it's great working with him. Um, and yeah, he's, we've, um, I first got in touch with him when he started the label, uh, when he released the, the Pain Jerk Third Organ and the Contagious Orgasm LPs. Um, I got a flyer from Joe Romer, and Joe would really get in touch with, with this label, this killer label. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy to see that Steve is, is doing pretty much what he wants to. Uh, yeah. regardless of, of style and uh, yeah now i guess i guess um it's um we should say rest in peace harbinger but mm. it was a great label for sure yeah uh, yeah i think he, he got a little tired of being labeled a noise label so um sure there weren't a whole lot of uh i was me i guess at the end but, yeah hey awesome yeah um, question, what's the first track off that LP? What's the first snippet of audio that, um, before the noise kicks in, what, what are we hearing there? Hmm. That is, um, it's, um, Swedish, uh, Krista Pettersson, uh, who was, um, suspect in the, uh, the murder case of prime minister Olaf Palma. This uh, old school speed freak, alcoholic uh, maniac, um, who he was freed from all charges, and uh, but he was dragged through the through the media, and um, he kept he kept popping up even after he was um, even after he was acquitted, uh -huh. and. Uh, you know, just typical old school amphetamine addict maniac. Um, and it's him talking to someone about um, the difference between misanthropy and philanthropy. Uh, is that something we got a translation for? Or? Right, you know. Well, no, um, not at the moment, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I think you're the first one who's asked about it. Um, yeah, um, I'd have to listen to it again to see exactly what he's saying. So I don't want to give you uh, some some okay. rough yeah, that's fine. translation that's fine. without. Okay. But, but yeah, he's um, talking okay, about cool. the um, 
love of your fellow man. Mm-hmm. Going back to what you said about um, recording as kind of a way to prepare for playing live. You told me, I think one time when I visited you that you see noise or, or I think playing live as like a war, like a friendly war, you put it. What did you mean by that? Is that, can you explain that? Uh, it's, um, well, if, if you're playing on a bill with, with other artists, you, uh, you want to come out on top. You want to, it, it, it's, it's, it's a war, man. It's trench warfare. Just get in there and just kill them. Is that the primary focus for you when you play live? Nah, it's uh... <laughs> <laughs> like is the primary focus the competition with your other with your other um, uh, other performers on the bill? No, nah, it's uh, it's not much of a competition. It's, it's uh, but but um, I think it's good to have um, it's good to have the mindset that you wanna you really wanna perform. You really wanna go out there and just give it your best. And, uh, yeah, I know I've said that. And uh, yeah, in a way it's, it's, um, it's, you want to get prepared. You want to go, you want to go out there. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fight or it's a, a war, but yeah, it's a, of course it's friendly. Yeah. But you want to come out on top. Yeah. I remember actually, this is kind of going back to the, the the recording method, but I do remember actually also like uh, Matt Betke from uh, Scant and Thousands of Dead, of Dead Gods mentioning somewhere, I think maybe on that Facebook thread, that um, something like he puts on that album, that, that black untitled album, um, as a reminder, or he thinks of that, he thinks of that album every time he plugs in his gear to record like this um, focus on just like letting that session, that moment be as potent and powerful and ripping as, you know, as it can be. And I actually, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm quite terrible live. Um, but last time I played, which was one of the only sets I've really like been proud of, um, I played that. I played a show in um, Kortwick, uh which Dries set up. Yeah, and I played longer than I've ever played, and also better. And just it was just better than I've ever played because I had the same mentality. It was just like this, like mentality that just has to go all in and and and, and not waste any time and not. I don't know. Uh, so that's yeah. I think I, I understand what you mean by the by the friendly war. It's not necessarily about it's not necessarily about competing with your fellow performers, but it's still about killing as much as you can. Yeah. And also, uh, I mean, I've seen, you've seen some artists, uh, you see someone up on stage and, uh, you know, we all have, we all have malfunctions or mishaps when playing live. It, it always happens. Yeah. You know, you lose, uh, you lose some channel, you, you, something's not working the way you want it to. And yeah. If you, if you let that show when you're up on stage, you're, uh, 
that's you're dead. Yeah, you can you just have to fight through it, and uh, whatever happens, you have to have to just power through. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that's also a fight metaphor. Um, seeing someone up on stage and you can read their face and it's like they're they're not happy about what's happening. It's uh, it's a turn off. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I think you've addressed this before in another interview in the past, maybe, and I think special interest, maybe. But um, what's the history behind all instrument as my cock? There's <laughs> a reference to A and B of Japan. Uh, who uh, <clears throat> I I didn't even have the tape. Uh, it was just uh, now we got a dub of it. Thanks to Eric. Thanks, Eric. Um, yeah, he uh, the, the liner notes said all instrument is my cock. Yeah, it's just I would just want to dumb it down a notch. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Is it yeah? Is it literal because? Yeah, going back to what you said about gear malfunctioning and performing live, um, I heard about your performance uh, at MAPS in New York City in 2016. And for one, I I remember hearing that you had some gear malfunction, that some of your equipment broke on the, the ride over. And I don't know if it was you or someone who was watching it told me that you, like, actually attached contact mics to your penis – well, yeah, uh, 100% malfunction, 100% using using whatever I had. But yeah, um, I was invited to play Maps uh, March 2016, and uh, I just picked out a couple of pieces of equipment to uh, to use there. But but somehow on the flight, or um, pretty much everything I brought was wasn't working. Uh, yeah. so it was, it was a matter of lending gear from others and, uh, doing whatever the best I could with that. Um, but also, yeah, I had the, uh, the, the pentadosum, uh, crocodile clamp contact mics, um, attached to my junk and, um, um, but it was, uh, <laughs> up on stage and, uh, when I was going to start playing, um, they killed the lights and I was, uh, I was standing in complete darkness and you couldn't oh. see my gear and it wasn't even my gear. It was just, it was all, it was horrible. Uh, just being up there and you had to, you had to, you had to perform. Uh, yeah do something, do the best you could, but yeah, pitch black, unknown gear. Uh, just damn. It was, um, I'm not my proudest moment. How did it turn out in the end? In your opinion? Um, it turned out. Okay. Um, I am, um, I would have liked to, <clears throat> Had I been more prepared, it would, it would have been better. But but um, yeah, people seem to like it, and uh, that's fine. So, so yeah, I heard it, I heard it was awesome from, oh, cool. from Nick. Well, told me it was awesome. I know that the whole trip was a nice experience. And uh, yeah, 
Definitely. I wish I could have been there. Johannes went. I was over here already. And it was like, it was surreal because we were actually roommates at the time. We'd met shortly before. And uh, like all of a sudden, he's going to New York City to like play a show with all my friends and like favorite projects. (laughs) It was like. That was a crazy weekend. Yeah, I'm sure. This episode of White Centipede Noise Podcast is brought to you by Scream and Writhe Distro and Absurd Exposition Label, Canadian-based source for experimental electronics, harsh noise, power electronics, etc. Over 1,000 items in stock on all formats, media mail shipping to the USA, and affordable international shipping. Available Friday, November 5th, Normal Rituals, Another Center Tape, and Coastal Flood, Other Frontiers, triple 3-inch CDR compilation of cult Canadian noise. Forthcoming in 2022, Merzbau, Aqua Necromancer Expanded Double LP, reissue of the essential Psych Noise Mantra from 1998, plus releases from Alex York, Hermit, Neural, Mott, The Nausea, The Rita, Violent Shogun, Wince, and more. Visit ScreamAndWrithe.com or AbsurdExposition.BandCamp.com. You said you're pretty pretty satisfied with most of it is there anything from your catalog that you're like really not into yeah like the collaboration with bloodthirst that would be that's uh, probably the worst one um what happened there i don't know what happened i i set up some source sounds and uh, i guess they were going to be used in some more creative way i i just found uh they weren't really changed or treated in uh, in any way that i could discern mm-hmm. uh, it was just uh, i didn't hear the um i didn't hear the material before it was released uh i think it's a shoddy affair overall yeah okay what about a favorite what's what's the what's your crowning achievement in your mind Whew. um <laughs> Yeah, when you mentioned Sex Rig, I was like, yeah, that's, I like it. Uh, the Harbinger <laughs> LP is, it's, uh, yeah, I like it. <laughs> and the, uh, the, the aforementioned two-track CD or C65. Yeah. Um, but but I, I say the, the, the Harbinger LP is, is probably my, my proudest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hope that's been getting like the... I feel like it's got, I feel like everyone has heard it at this point, like it's gotten around, but I still felt like it was strange how it kind of seemed to be distributed to a lot of places that weren't necessarily the, the right places. Like I saw like 30 copies for sale on, on Discogs in like, I mean, I mean, that's also a really beautiful thing actually. And the kind of the, the cool thing about releasing Harbinger is that you get access and distribution to all these record stores and things like that. But at the same time, I felt like it, when it first came out, it wasn't really distributed in many noise distros. Right. But now it has been. I think it has. I think it's gone around now. But um, but I'm wondering. I mean, there must there must have been spread pretty thin because that's in a lot, a lot, a lot of like online record sellers that sell like rock records, you know, like and have like Discogs accounts with like twenty thousand items. Yeah, I'm guessing uh, they, they they have um, the Harbinger distribution is is through uh, 
through some European distributor, uh, really. Not not a mainstream distributor by any means, but but they get it out to right. the record stores. And uh, yeah. I think I have a right to return unsold copies. So they, I guess they, they take most new releases and uh, mm-hmm. if they're not sold, they just return. But uh, for the people who have uh, bought the LP and, uh, and appreciated it, I think most of them got it from from distributors who weren't able to get it from from this distributor. Um, right. Freak Animal, White Centipede, or Millstone, or, yeah. uh, you know, anyone in the, in the U.S. They probably got it from Forced Exposure, but I'm not Skeleton sure how many copies have sold through, through those uh, regular record stories. I wonder how many are still out there. I mean, it yeah. should be widely, it should be in the hands. It shouldn't be sitting. I just, I just hate to think of it sitting in some, like, been somewhere where it's not going to be uh, appreciated by the right person where, and when someone else doesn't have it in their hand, it'd be interesting to find out where, where those all are. It was pressed in, I, uh, I'm not sure about the exact number now, but le- less than 500 copies. So uh, yeah, I think 300 is what I yeah. saw or heard. Right. Um, what about vinyl? How many copies of vinyl have you made over the years? Quite a few actually. Um, uh, Uthmarken released the first 100 copies, and uh, yeah. they, they sold out real fast. It was a fundraiser tape for their for their venue in Gothenburg. Mm-hmm. Um, but since it sold out so fast, I, uh, I'll I'll keep it in print as a as a private release. And um, yeah, maybe I don't know, maybe 100 150 copies, maybe more. Um, I'm not really got to be more because you've been making that for like, yeah, probably more. You've been making that for years and it seems like it's, uh, it's gone around. I mean, you sent me like 25 one time or something. Um, Yeah. You see, I, I, I don't really keep track. I mean, I can't, I'm I'm just, are you still, are you still dubbing that? Yeah, sure. If anyone wants it, if anyone wants it, they can get in touch and, uh, so that's oh, that's a definitely a that's a staple. That's like a that's a, that should be that should be in everyone's collection. And I think it's I think it's awesome that you have uh, at some on some sense it seems like like your stuff is kind of hard to hard to find or hard to get to. But really, it's not. I think if you really just make the effort to contact you, it's like you can get that stuff. And it's I think it's awesome. Very few people. Very few people do, but. <clears throat> I think that anyone who's who's uh, written to me has uh, probably. I mean, I can always hook you hook you people up with with a dub if it's something that's out of print. But but uh, I'm a fan of keeping uh, keeping releases available. And uh, do you remember Pat Yankee wanting to release it on vinyl and you declined? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Pat. <laughs> um, when is the paranoid L- paranoid time LP is coming? The LP? Pat, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's... I love SNSC. Uh, really, really... Uh, um, um, Gaping Hole is uh, is such an amazing label. Yeah, um, definitely. He offered to do an LP, but in my mind, it was just... It's, it's available on tape, so why? But yeah, that was maybe maybe a dumb thing to turn out. <laughs> um, it might have been a good idea 
well, it might have been a smart move in the end because at some point NSNSC or SNSC um, kind of shut down pretty abruptly, and I think a lot of stuff that he still had in stock ended up in the trash. Oh, now that's a shame. So maybe that was a good a, a bullet that you dodged, but yeah, it would have been awesome as an LP, and yeah, SNSC. It's an epic label. <clears throat> I, I, also, I was, at the time, I was uh, hoping to have, uh, well, the first LP should be something uh, made for LP. Sure, uh, sure, sure, yeah. Then um, then I got the offer to do heteronormative music on a Second Sleep, and uh, uh, I was such a nice, I was... So humbled by the offer, um, uh, uh, Matteo, I gladly let him do an LP of it. But, um, mm-hmm. So um, I'm uh, I changed my mind apparently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you feel about people who are selling your stuff at high prices? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's uh, I trust. What happened a lot with you? What, sorry? Because it happens a lot with you. It does. It seems like it does. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like people people like to sell your stuff for like, hmm. I don't know. You know, it pops up like tapes for 30 bucks or whatever. I mean, you've seen it. I mean. Yeah, I've seen it. Um, I, 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 uh, I think it was the, uh, the, the, the black self-titled C65. Someone was selling it for... for outrageous price on discogs and i think i listed it myself um just saying that you know just get in touch and you can get it for for a lot cheaper yeah um I, but also maybe maybe vinyl would have been uh, sold at outrageous prices if i hadn't kept dubbing it over the years absolutely and i'm sure and i'm and i'm quite sure it has been also i mean i think you've you've kept that uh at bay a bit for sure but I think it's. I've still seen it. It's I've it's, still it's seen it I guess. But but and, uh, what bothers you about that? It it bothers me only to the extent that you can see people just picking stuff up only to uh, to resell it at uh, mm-hmm. prices. I don't mind if someone sells their own copy of whatever I've done if. It, if they're not into it. That's um, that's a whole different thing. They're free to do what they want. But seeing people at, at shows uh, just snatching up tapes, and then you see it on Discogs the next day, and uh, yeah, it's it's a nuisance. But but uh, mm, I don't know. Doesn't keep you up at night? No, nah, not really. But um, but if I didn't, if I if I got face to face with someone doing it, I'll probably let them know how I feel about it. Sure. It's, uh, it's merchant behavior. That's just, uh, yeah, it's off putting. Yeah. yeah, Sure. Have you gotten up in anyone's face, uh, either physically or online about that kind of stuff before? Probably. <laughs> um, it's, it's, 
It must have happened over sometime over the years. Uh, I can't really recall any any such moment, but uh, I don't really keep those memories alive. Sure. Uh, I've done some. I, I've I've been in people's faces about all sorts of things, but but <laughs> and they'll probably tell you a different story than I would tell you. But um, nothing I can remember right now. But. Uh, no, it's all right. It's all right. You don't need to dig up some, some gossip or something. <laughs> this episode of White Centipede Noise podcast is brought to you by Oxen Records, an independent label focused on artists in the field of harsh noise based in Los Angeles, California. Recent releases include Peter J. Wood's Collages C30, Unsustainable Social Condition, Rapid Polarization 2 C20, Circuit Wound, A Sudden Lapse of Concentration CD, Scathing, a Capital Beneath the Waves CD, and Leah P. Surviving the Familiar CD. www.oxenrecords.bigcartel.com you've, you've done extensive, numerous collaborations with Sewer Election. Um, how did you and Dan meet? We f- first met in person. <sighs> when is this? Uh... I'm not sure when it was sometime early, early noughts. Um, he had his, he had his uh, CVR label, Sewer Records. And uh, um, I noticed that, that I thought it was funny because uh, at the time we, we had a Segi Hrival and I just noticed that Sewer Records was just, some guy, uh, and he'd done a government alpha three inch CDR, and he'd done, uh, I think, guilt connector, and a couple of others. It was like, wow, this should get in touch with this guy. See, mm-hmm. like, uh, guy with decent taste. Uh, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really remember, but but we just um, sure uh, probably wrote to each other, and then I I met him when he just moved to Gothenburg. Uh, I visited his place, and. Uh, you know, it was obvious he 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 was a true noise head, and uh, there were a whole lot of those guys in Sweden at the time. Uh, so it was just uh, it was just uh, chicken soup for the soul to to yeah. to hang out and uh, just chat about noise. And uh, uh, he's hearing his stuff. Uh, it's it's always been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, great guy. And uh, happy to see that he's still around. We haven't, we haven't collaborated in, in years, but um, yeah, it'll happen again for sure. Uh, yeah. Cool. That's, I that was going to ask you. Cool. Are uh, you guys in touch? Like, like, you know, on some level? No, nah, I'm, 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 I, I quit all social medias and, um, yeah. And I'm a recluse. Um, we, we uh, it's it's the same with everyone. I say uh, I get in touch with someone, or someone gets in touch with me. But when when something is happening or needs to be discussed, but yeah. mostly I'm um, um, uh, not really in touch with a whole lot of people on a day to day basis. Uh, okay. 
I don't never get invited to play Sweden at all. So, so yeah, what's up with that? That's crazy. Oh, no. uh, That's weird. What's up with that? <laughs> That's weird. Uh, ask everyone else. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, um, yeah. Why is that? I I I turned down. Uh, I turned down shows that were funded by tax money or culture grants or, or such. Uh, just I think it's, uh, it's just very, very annoying on a personal level. Um, possibly that's why. Well, that's uh, something maybe we can change. I think hopefully people listening to this will get their acts together. Going back to the collaborations with Dan, though, um, there's a really unique and refined sound to a lot of those, like something really kind of unusual, like a broken a broken sound um, with simultaneously very powerful. Um, something in the mix was very special. What was the recording process to that project? The collaborations. Um, the first one was we were playing a show in uh, Sundsvall, and uh, that was the first time we performed together as well. Um, mm -hmm. And we talked about it over the phone what what um, what we should aim for and uh, what to use. Um, and we did um, a collaboration tape, the Killing from Norland tape. Mm -hmm. uh, that I, one is specific. That's what I'm talking about. There has a very, very certain, unusual, uh, broken texture that's no. just totally unlike anything, really. Dan was the one who mixed that one. I sent him a source tape, uh, or just my my part of the of the of the collaboration. He mm -hmm. put it together and um, released the tape. Mm -hmm. So. I'm not really sure how he how he did that, but um, he did good. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm happy with it. Um, the next one uh, he also makes um, the, the Germany tape. I think I was the one mixing that. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's it's been a while. Um, so, I, are most of those male collaborations? Sorry. Are most of those male collaborations? Yes, the one uh, the one live collaboration we've uh, done on tape is the Rogsved tape that was released by uh, Thorex Harish. Yep, sets uh, that was recorded in um, at home here in my kitchen, uh, cool. and it was that was nice to 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 be face to face and uh, doing a live live collaboration for sure. Uh, I think it turned out good, and yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's saturated and it sounds broken, and um, possibly because of the uh, live to tape recording situation. But yeah, I'm happy with uh, with all the all, all collaborations we've done, uh, especially some of the live live uh, shows have been yeah, some real fun. It's really good to hear that you're, uh, that you think there's a good possibility that you guys will do some more 
Oh, I hope so, for sure. Um, yeah, awesome. Yeah. He's been really active uh, recording in the past couple of years. I mean, cracking out, cracking out harsh stuff too, like really, really awesome harsh stuff. So that's, yeah. that's been cool. Um, what about other, have you been a part of any other collaborations except for the Bloodthirst? Uh, well, uh, project? The, 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 the recordings for the Commando RJF LP right. was, uh, that's, I was going to get into that. I'm going to get into that too, but on a strictly kind of a noise sense, are there any like projects that we might not know about? No, not really. Um, Are there any monikers that you've released stuff under that uh, have are kind of like um, incognito? Um, what do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I think so. I th- yeah. I've had my fingers in some, um, in some pies over the years, for sure. I believe you were uh, on one of the earliest, if not the first, uh, Project Hot yeah. releases, yeah. credited as TC. Yes. Um, I've never heard it, but what, what did you do on that? We recorded uh, that. We recorded that track and a couple of others uh, in my place in Gothenburg. Um, yeah, ninety-four, um, maybe ninety-three or ninety-four. I'm not sure. Um, we had met previously, and uh, for some reason, we. Um, we were in my apartment and um, had a night of, uh, of uh, recording. And um, I have, I think the master tape is, I'm not sure where it is. I've, I would love to hear the other recording from that night, but it seems to be maybe gone forever. I don't know. But... Okay. Yeah, that that showed up on uh, on tape, and then on the uh, was it uh, on the first Praetor LP? Yeah, uh, and we played live together I, for the first Praetor show ever. That one was also not recorded, so I don't. <laughs> I only have my um, my memories of the night. Um, Would have been mm-hmm. nice to hear what it sounded like, but. Yeah, yeah, we've we've been we've been uh, allies for, for a long time, for sure. Yeah, he's he's mentioned you as something of a mentor um, in interviews, and you know your name kind of pops up on a lot of the liner notes. Even the most recent collaboration with uh, Alpha Mania, uh, you're credited. I, th- or I don't know if it's Tommy. I don't know if it's your full name or TC, but uh, management by fear. <laughs> we we. What role do you what 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 role do you have have you played in this project the over the years? <laughs> What's that? Conciliere. Uh the uh, I'm the uh, I'm the uh, we we bounce ideas back and forth. Uh, we we give each other critique and input, and uh, I mean, all for many, I probably thought it's it's not really noise the way I am. The way Theodic Source it is. 
mm-hmm. but we are all uh, we're a tight group of uh, good friends, and uh, we uh, we help each other out and um, just oh steer things in the right direction, and making sure that that it's it's done the right way. Uh, management by fear. Uh, I, I've, I've released um, their material on, on tape uh, yeah. a couple of times. Uh, right. I was just, I, I'm, I'm happy to be part of the, uh, the process. Uh, Are you a tyrant? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm <laughs> a most benevolent character. Um, but, um, we, <laughs> um, I'm I'm the nice guy. The the other two yeah. they're, they're a whole lot shadier. For okay. sure. Yeah. What about your involvement in RGF Commando, Commando RGF? How did that come about? It came about after many many years of uh, being in touch with Leif Thurson of RGF and uh, of him wanting to do. Uh, um, uh a a second lp basically mm-hmm. was, he had ideas that he'd been, he'd been uh, working on for, for for many years writing texts and uh, writing lyrics um working on the theme of sweet slow suicide mm-hmm. and uh, it came about when he suggested that me and Christian should um, should work on the music, um, using his lyrics, and uh, just a collaboration without him being in the room. So uh, me and Christian, we had uh, we had the album recorded over a weekend at my place, and uh, we recorded pretty much all hours of the day. For, for that that whole weekend and uh, uh, it was uh, it was intense and uh, came out uh, the way we wanted it to and uh, it came out the way Leif wanted it to and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah it, it after, after many years of being in touch and uh, getting Leif's um, Place uh, blessing to to uh, to work under the RGF. Yeah. Are those Christian Christian's vocals on the record? It's both him and me. And uh, really, and on uh, one track you hear Leif ring uh, or recorded over the phone. Uh, so I think the vocals are uh, all three of us, mostly Christian though. I didn't know you were doing vocals at all. No. All right, I have to go back and listen with that in mind. Uh, Leif called me up a couple of weeks ago, and he heard <laughs> he uh, he was mentioning some of the lyrics that I sang on a, on a track, and he was uh, he was dead certain that it was him. And <laughs> we had uh, recorded him. Sort of, uh, 
sneaky recording of his voice and using really? it without him knowing it. And he was really upset. <laughs> and I was going, no, 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 man, that, that's, that's me. But wow. you sound just like me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. So it's hard that's to do for everyone. Yeah. Crazy. I, I, I didn't know that, actually. I really thought he was actually involved in the recording process, like physically. He wants to. Uh, he wants to do something more in the future uh, with with Amore, but this time just coming together, um, all three in person, and I think that oh, would cool. be, yeah, that would be worth investigating. It will will not be RJF. RJF is uh, complete. It's a it's a closed chapter. Uh, okay. So whatever it, whatever happens will be. Some other name, some other, some other project. Mm-hmm. Currently available from White Centipede Noise, Aaron Dilloway and Jeff German, Casual Collision CD, co-released with New Forces. Various artists, Lacerations, Double CD, co-released with Tronics. Sewer Election and Trix Ruzit, Killing for Germany, Ruxfit CD. Testicle Hazard, 5060 LP. Um, you ran Segerhuva from 1999, I believe, to 2008. Is that correct? Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. Um, almost 30 releases in those years. Yeah. I think we started, it was me and Jonas Kellogger and we started the label. We, I think we first started talking about it in 97. Um, mm-hmm. in 98, I, uh, I met Yasutoshi. Um, we had all been already been in, in touch by mail. Sorry, you met who? Yasutoshi, Yoshida, or government alpha. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, but 98, he was playing in, in Stockholm together with uh, MSBR. Cool. Uh, so that was the first time we met in person. And I think we, I'd, uh, I'd already written to him prior to that, offering or asking him if he wanted to do an LP. And, uh, and yeah, that, I think that, that was the real start of it all. It's having, right. having government alpha as, as, a, as first release you guys did large editions of most things you did what was the label's philosophy like was there a was there a specific approach you guys took well it was uh, yeah wanting to do uh, something other than than the the ultra limited uh, there there was so much very very small numbered editions very deliberately two two small editions yeah at the time uh, that that was what we felt and we wanted to do things that would stay available for a while mm-hmm. not uh, not high priced uh, rc editions mm-hmm. so you know how did that work out? Did it, I mean, on a financial sense, did it? Yeah, that was dumb, of course. What's that? <laughs> I don't know how many years it took for us to sell out the, the, the 500 copies of, uh, of Garmin Alpha or, uh, I mean, doing stuff like Blood. Uh, the Blood CD was a thousand copies. Uh, yeah. Well, a lot of the CDs were a thousand copies. Right. Back then also, you, I mean, 200, 300 copies, even 500 copies of a CD wasn't even really an option, was it? Or it would be extremely expensive. I mean, yeah. Uh, 
I think basically 500 was was the the, the lower the right. minimum. Um, but that's man, that's changed over the years. Uh, right. But at the time, I, I think 500 was definitely the minimum order number of copies you, you for a CD. Yeah, you ran it with Jonas and um, also Luve. Yeah, is that correct? Luve, uh, Luve joined us um, after a couple of years. Uh, he uh, he was interested in uh, uh, running mail order, um, mm -hmm. which seemed crazy to <laughs> to Jonas uh, because that was the worst part of it. But but uh, Luve was. Uh, he was interested, and he uh, so he joined joined the label, and uh, I'm very happy about that. Uh, we've been good friends ever since. Um, cool. How was it running a label with multiple people? After a while, uh, it's easier to be to be the one guy making all the decisions because because uh, when you have to uh, when you have to uh, have a consensus two or three people it's it's uh, you're bound to make uh, compromises and uh, mm -hmm. some of the things were, were some of the releases were stuff that maybe two of us really liked and the third was mm -hmm. like, yeah. uh, that happened so mm -hmm. I, still I'm happy with uh, with the output and I'm happy with uh, what we did because I mean I think it sparked some it sparked some activity in Sweden and uh, mm -hmm. the other places. So uh, it was a good thing overall. But everything has its time. And uh, after those, I think it was 29 releases, um, it was time to call it quits. And sure. I'd already started Obisco as a tape label just to have this this outlet for, for, for stuff that I was stuff that I myself was yeah without having to, right. to run it through uh, through a board meeting right <laughs> and Abisko also stopped around the same time as Sega Hoover. is that is that correct oh yeah uh, could be I think, I'm, I'm, uh... I think I I think I was checking and it stopped also in 2008 or 2009. Uh, yeah. Um, did, did that coincide with the ending of Sager Hoover? Or was that stopped for other reasons, just independently? There, there were different reasons to uh, to uh, to end it. Um, I, I had my divorce year two thousand seven, and I was. Uh, mm. uh, all the all the design work for for Obisco was done by my ex wife, and uh, mm -hmm. with her, she wasn't really keen on keeping doing that after the divorce, uh, understandably. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I I had a, I had a yeah, I wanted to keep that the look of the Obisco tapes and the, the sure the uh, okay. the feel of the label. Uh, was something that that was that was important, but and uh, but I wanted to keep releasing tapes, but 
I've I've done, but under different names and uh, yeah, and since and taking care of all the design work and such myself. Yeah, um, and you've been doing yeah. that since. I mean, uh, I don't know how to. You'll have to tell me how to pronounce it. This uh, chef's ideologen bolag. Chef's ideologen bolag. Yeah, what's the meaning of that, by the way? The uh, ideologue in chief company that came about when we did the uh, Killing for Germany tape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, we were playing a show in Berlin and we did the collaboration and um, got it out on tape for to 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 have it available on the, at the show. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking over the phone. I so I. Are you going to do it on Harshad Rituals, or are you you want to do it on, on a new label, or should I do it? And uh, the uh, the other name is uh, is probably a reference to just being the uh, the head ideologue. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I figured that's. I mean, I didn't translate it, but I yeah. I know to German. I guess I kind of thought it had something to do with that. Yeah, uh, keeping it the uh, true orthodox harsh noise, yep, purity. Yeah, so that's the uh, that's the ideology, and uh, and with that label and uh, and a lot of the stuff that you've done since, and I'm sure before then, um, we see a very this. You have a very distinct aesthetic for your design. You. A really unique graphic design style. Lots of, um, I don't know how to describe. It. I'm really not a design. Uh, I don't know about. I'm not a design guy. I don't know about uh, fonts and things like that. But you have like this really uh, like comic esque '60s uh, graphic design style. What's uh, what's the influence on that? Or what's your what are your roots in um. in design? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, um, because for a minute I thought, I mean, okay, I know Sweden has kind of a tradition of unique graphic design and they have their own uh, certain aesthetics. And for a minute I kind of thought this was a general Swedish noise thing. And I was actually talking mm-hmm. to Eric um, about his label team Boro and what I've seen about his artwork. And I was like, you know, what's this thing that you guys all do from Sweden, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, actually my aesthetic is directly inspired from Tommy's aesthetic. He, 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 he gave that right up. I mean, he, he said that openly. So. Yeah. Um, I I think at one time I sent him a a sheet of uh, rub-on letters uh, for him to use, uh, saying that (laughs) if you're going to bite my style, just uh, do it properly. Here's 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 the typeface you you need. (laughs) So keep on ripping off my style. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Is that is that back like um, when you guys first kind of met? That's um, that's only a couple of years ago. Eric's a great he guy. Told me you guys, he told me you guys became friends uh, after an argument. Is that maybe what he's referencing? Oh, uh, I don't remember. In my head, I've always liked Eric. And, uh, we, can take a, we can take a ribbing. That's uh, for yeah. sure. Uh, yeah. It's only to keep him in 
in line. Yeah, yeah. Not to do uh, stray from the herd. Yeah. I mean, I've been to your house. You like you have a you're a fan of like il- like illustrations and 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 comics and things like that. Is that is that accurate? I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm interested in a whole lot of art and uh, too many interests, too many uh, sure interests in too many things. But yeah, yeah, I'm um, I I worked at I worked at several comic book stores uh, and uh, that's been that's been a large interest, a, a main mm-hmm. part of my life for for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, about my graphic style, it's it's. Um, I just think of it as a basic cut and paste, just slapping something together to have it out the next day. Hopefully, um, yeah. it is quick and dirty. And um, sometimes I, I I can spend <laughs> hours and hours on on uh, doing some some piece of art or design that's probably goes unnoticed by, by everyone, but, but, uh, well, that's the thing. I don't think it's quick. It, it doesn't strike me as quick and dirty at all. It's strikes me as very, I mean, I see that the, there's a strong handmade element, Yes, but, but, but very, very, uh, thought out and precise. And I know we've talked to you about Rizzo printing. You use a, you have a risograph machine and I know how much time and, you know, thought and effort you put into, printing on that and i know how you know time consuming and and difficult uh, and you know difficult using that a machine can be so i mean it definitely seems like you have a like a like almost a fetish for like this physical process of 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 print of texture of tactile um stuff and i think it goes back also to your your noise the way you record as tricks through it and also has a very handmade physically played feel i mean it's is that accurate i say it's a work ethic it's uh, uh work in itself is is uh it's rewarding um mm-hmm. I, sometimes yeah you, you can spend hours and hours just working on on something that you know will uh Someone will just look at it and say, "Oh, nice!" and just chuck it, and uh, it, right. it doesn't matter because the, the process it's is its own reward. And um, I, and I like to uh, I put some pride in my work. Um, you just don't want to put something together that, that that's just. that you uh, could have done better. Um, sure. Yeah. Something to aim for anyway. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you, you want to get done right. Um, and, uh, but it, it feels like I, I do things the way I've always done them. It's, it's handmade because that's, that's the only thing I know how to do. Um, but also, you know, you, it's nice to to uh, to get some elements in in, in the world of noise that that is in, uh, that sets it apart from 
from other releases and other mm-hmm. other labels. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, using colors, using handmade elements, using yeah, rubber letters. I, it's it's something that I I, I really like doing as well. So, what's the meaning of, meaning of no to new support? You would have to ask Craig Thought about that. It's uh, from. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's a slogan of his, and uh, mm-hmm. I don't. Um, we uh, we use it in this in the the in the uh, inner circle that is that is the three of us, and uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I still have the sense that you're a very open guy and very friendly. Like, I feel I still get the sense that if some, like, um, I don't know, new kid who's discovered noise finds your email address, writes an email like, "Hey, I want to buy some tapes or something like that." Like, you're going to be pretty receptive and and uh, responsive, right? Uh, no to new support. It's uh, the the way I see it is that uh, it, when you're working on something, you uh, you don't really have an audience in mind. You, uh, you basically do it for yourself and mm-hmm. for the, uh, the closest allies. Um, uh, if uh, if someone like uh, Luva Rosenstrom is um, likes what I do. That's uh, that's sort of enough, right? Uh, if more people like it, then then cool. But but not really working to uh, to get new fans. Sure, it happens and it's nice. But but um, yeah, no to new support is just a it's just a harsher way of of expressing that. Uh, it, it's sort of. The work in itself is is enough. Uh, it doesn't really have to be heard by by a whole lot of people. Do you see yourself as a gatekeeper? How uh, what, you would have? Sorry, I, you would have to explain what, what a gate gatekeeping. Means. I don't. I don't know what a gatekeeper is. Honestly, what? I don't know what a gatekeeper is. I'm 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 leading you on with that question, but I see people complain about uh, gatekeepers and noise people that kind of establish the what's accepted, what's um, what's supported, what's celebrated and what's not. I could get into that, but how do you do it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't really. Uh, um, uh, yeah. How do you, how, um, no, I, I don't really understand the term uh, and in, in how how this happens. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's people see people posting on message boards, I guess, who have some sort of influence or or whatever, you know, maybe giving either positive or disparaging critical comments to a new release or something like that and, and um, kind of setting some sort of taste that people follow their taste. I don't know. That's, but you feel like you could get into it, but you feel like, uh, you don't, you don't do it or have access to it. 
I don't think I do. I, um, <laughs> man, if I only could, but no. Um, <laughs> but what if people have, uh, and it's happened that, that that people have wanted me to give them sort of critique on their 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 work, their recordings, and um, I try to be as as honest as I can. And, mm-hmm. But I, um, I don't really like to cut people down in any way. Um, mm-hmm. Rather, encourage them to, to to try something. If it's not if it's not working for me, then maybe it's working for someone else. But but mm-hmm. their, their taste. But um, gatekeeping, yeah, um, yeah. Um, I I've quit all social medias and. Um, I'm not sure where this gatekeeping is is happening. Right. But that's that's something I keep kind of talking about or kind of it seems the this in such a small scene um a platform like an, a forum post or or even more so like a an Instagram post seem like one person making a comment seems to throw a lot of people for like th- through a seems to throw a lot of people like in a tizzy. Like if one person comments somewhere, Oh, you know, what is this crap or something like that? Then it's like people perceive as if that's like a, um, a wave or like a, you know, whereas it's just one person making one comment somewhere on the internet. I think that's, I think that's, uh, it's just kind of strange how that stuff gets magnified, really magnified. And uh, I think a lot of the more deep appreciation or opinions or whatever that people have on a personal level or in exchange with others on a personal level um, never gets broadcast. Um, So the one comment seems to be the, the definition of the situation. Or the lack thereof, you know, people say, oh, people aren't commenting about my, I'm not reading anything about my, my new album or whatever like that. And it's true, but then a lot of praise will be like two people talking about it. You know, like it's, it's really, I think it's just important that people reckon, re- remember how, how small these differences are yep. and also how incomplete they are from something bigger for sure there are only so many public arenas to to uh, to give your opinion on on a noise recording yeah so um yeah of course um if 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 you're in my place i'll probably play you uh the first track off of uh, incapacitant survival of the laziest and just yeah, sit there uh, uh, and just rage and yeah, enjoy it. And I'll 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 tell someone if they if they've never heard Jason Krumer, I'm like, oh fuck, we gotta yeah. check this out. And, and uh, yeah. that's that's all. That's where it's happening. It's um, yeah, exactly. Meetings, uh, whatever people say. Ah, shit, if you care that much, uh, I don't know. You're uh, you're living your life the wrong way. Yeah. 
By the way, what's the status of your collaboration with, with Krumer? I you've been sending him some material, but has there been anything done with that? I haven't talked to him in a while. Uh, I hope to get some more solid recordings his, sent his way, and we should talk about what's, what we're what the end result should be uh, if, if we're aiming for a collaboration or a, or a previous player or we'll, we'll see. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely someone who I I like a whole lot and uh, am thrilled to uh, maybe have a release come out with our names on it. That would be something. Yeah, definitely. Um, are you religious, Tommy? Yes, I'd say I am. Is that something you infuse in a in a sense into your music? I mean, if your your album is called Christian Music. Or is that is that something you practice on a on a regular basis? Is that something you is part of your regular daily life? Yes, I'm 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 a Christian. I I uh, and I uh, believe in the one true God and. Um, I pray to him, and uh, uh, <laughs> if people don't like it, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know why I said that. Well, of course, people. Why wouldn't they like it? It's that's fine. Yeah, yeah. but it's hard to explain uh, in uh, in detail how it if how it how it how it affects my life. How it's part of it. But ask away, man. I don't know, man. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm curious about it because it's a, it's rare to see sincere statements. It's rare to see, um, you know, obviously it's rare to see Christianity or anything really positive or, or good extolled or, or, or celebrated in, in the genre of music, which is fine. I mean, I'm not saying that that should be the norm, but that's something very noticeable. And I, and I have picked, uh, picked up on the fact that it's not, you know, ironic or, 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 or sarcastic from, from your perspective. And I, I was just curious about that. Is that something that's always been a part of your life? Is that something you've, um, discovered more recently? Yeah, I discovered more recently. I say, uh, for the most part of my life, I would consider myself being an atheist. But mm-hmm. that's um, um, the process of realizing that I was really wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Many many years, and it was just one one thought process after the other just going through uh, looking deeply and examining things a lot of different things it all led me in one direction and uh, it all seemed to lead to the same conclusion that that god is real and um that there are certain certain things are wrong, certain things are right, and mm-hmm. um, that's 
that's the uh, the easiest way to explain it. Yeah, yeah there is there is a right and there is a wrong and there is good and there is evil. That's, mm-hmm. uh, when you come to that conclusion, it's um, that was it for me. Um, also, I do believe in that we. I have a soul. That's also just a massive part of the uh, the uh, the equation coming to uh, to this conclusion. And uh, I'm not part of any congregation, or um, um, I like the way that C.S. Lewis looked at it. Um, in rather than looking at what separates Christians, let's look at what what unites us. Mm-hmm. And uh, he called it mere Christianity, and I think that's that's a pretty solid way of looking at it. Has it affected your relationship with art? With art? With art? <sighs> yeah, maybe um, it has affected my uh, my my way of living and my, um, and my life, um, art. Nah, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I still like heathen art and perverted art. Uh, <laughs> such. Sure. So, uh, I'm fine with, uh, with, uh, I'm fine with other people doing <laughs> their thing, whatever that is. And, uh, okay. I'm not judgmental. <laughs> so it hasn't hasn't really affected. I mean, I, when I say art, I can get more specific and more kind of banal and say noise music or or uh, underground culture or your your associates or or people within that. Has that had any effect on on those relationships with certain people? Not that I know of. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. No, um, um, I mean, I, if I, if something is, is, uh, you can see things that are, you know, based in juvenile Satanism and, uh, it's all over the place, of course. And, uh, that but the only the only time that I I talk about that stuff is in uh, <clears throat> again in in private conversations and uh, mm-hmm. it's it rarely happens that that subject comes up or anything related mm-hmm. to it but uh, okay. yeah we'll see but 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 it hasn't really been no okay, good. conflicts that I know of okay good okay. We'll move on to uh, what are your top five noise releases of all time? <laughs> oh man! Uh, oh man! Oh man! That's so hard. Uh, I sort of knew this question was coming up. <laughs> I'm going to have to start switching it up because I want to. I want to surprise people, so I think everyone's gonna kind of figure out that, that, that I'm gonna ask them this. But, but yeah, I want to know your, without looking at discogs, without you know really digging through your shelves. I want to know if you just dig into the back of your mind. Yeah, um, 
uh, first MSB RLP. Uh, <laughs> one in capacitance. Let's see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, I'm picking out the best one. It's uh, you could have you could have a, a, a top five of just five incapacitant CDs. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, Yeah, I see. Maybe, maybe. Uh, it can be. This can be a different list tomorrow. It doesn't have to be. You know, oh, yeah, it's not yeah. set in set in stone. But definitely, uh, this is a hard one. I'd say Mauthausen Orchestra and Opera Versions. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the because I haven't listened to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in a while. Um, maybe put that one on the stereo and see if uh, what it sounds like now. But I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's that's a great LP, of course. Uh, yep. As for uh, Man. All right, so one more. Yeah, I'm thinking about uh, thinking Mersbo, uh the Project Frequency LPs. Oh wait, no, Hanover and Corruption. I see. That's uh, that's probably you know cool. picking out picking out the five best ones. Yeah. But uh, okay, that's good. I'll, that's fine. That's new movements. You have some regrets. Sorry. New movements uh, by incapacitants. Okay. Cool. Quiet, cool. Good. Or no progress. Yeah, so fun. I like to have the first Moti tape in there as well. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That's six. But I like to have the Kakerlak tape on self abuse. Uh, that's small. The four hundred LP. That was amazing. Ah, uh, wow. The new generation. <laughs> so many good ones. Um, okay, you're over your you're way over your limit, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's good. That's good to hear. Um, <laughs> what about your? If you can give me top five of the past year or so, top five new releases, not reissues. I'm not really up to speed because uh, the, the things that that they came out, I think of them as new new releases. Uh, you, you realize that. It's been a while. Yeah, I really like the Tape Decay CD that came out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's more. There's not really noise, per se. I uh, Savage Gospel that was that was amazing. Cool. I really like pretty much everything I heard from Opio and uh, yeah, the Finnish guys are killing it. Um, yeah, new boyfriend is after part. Yeah, good stuff. Definitely. Uh, wow. Yeah. Capers. He's been doing good stuff. Capers, yeah. But in a way, capers, uh, or, which, which capers? Or capers in general? Capers in general. But, yeah. But also, you know, I I, I haven't heard the uh, the Blind Date CD on Oxen. So you I'm haven't? Sure, I'm sure that one is amazing, but I just haven't heard it yet. I really like the uh, all the Blind Date tapes. And I'm sure the CD is killer. But I'm... So I... I I can't really answer the question without because I know I'm leaving stuff out. 
Um, sure, but it's it's what you've heard and what you can think of right now. That's yeah. yeah well, those are, those are some some of the ones that uh, that I can think of. Uh, it's uh, it's rough to see so so many tapes being released in the U.S. that you just a couple of years ago you could order things just to to see what's happening. Like, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, th- these days it's it's impossible with the with the customs fees, taxes, and stuff, uh, and the postage prices. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I know you have done this in the past, but you can always hit me up um, if there's anything you want that I might not have noticed yeah. or anything that I'm getting for a reservation. Just hit me up. I get, I try to get every, I try to get everything I can. Yeah. So. But also I, I, I don't want to just keep on hoarding stuff. Uh, I want to sure. have, have stuff that I, that I listen to and enjoy. And, uh, yeah. Um, rather than just buying ton of stuff and the volume in the past couple of years has been pretty intense yeah of new stuff and reissues yeah uh, how do you feel about nostalgia how do you think about how do you feel about reissues it, it's um, It's great when it's done right. Um, mm-hmm. I was just uh, earlier today. I was looking at the the Knives CD that was released by Ominous. Uh, yeah, maybe Face Tapes as well. I think that was just Ominous. That was just Ominous. That's, but that's, I might be that's wrong. kind of reissue. I I I I love it. It's, yeah, uh, you're making things available that that deserve to be heard by by yeah. the people, and um, yeah. that's great. Um, I don't see maybe uh, maybe reissues that are more nostalgic than good. Uh, that, could, that could be uh, if people buy that instead of new artists. Yeah, maybe that's that's a bit of a problem, but not that big a problem. Better to see things. Uh, that is to see old material being made available and uh, not on on uh, discogs, collector prices. Like mostly, mostly that amazing yeah, that, to see those those tapes reissued. Absolutely, I always thought that would never happen. And I remember actually, I remember back in the day talking to Krat. Uh, Chris from Trash Ritual often, and he was talking about how that was he was in the process of doing that. Yeah, and that deal sort of fell apart in some way for some reason. Um, so it's it's quite spectacular that that's been available. I would really also love to try to interview Fumiyuki. Yeah, but I know that his English is quite limited. But I'm working on maybe some sort of like translator app possibility. I don't know. But it's definitely uh, it's definitely in, in the works. Yeah, uh, it would be nice to see interviews with uh, people using a real translator. Yeah. To to uh, to have because I'm 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 express myself in English now, and I have to uh, 
I have to struggle to find the right words. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's not my, it's not my language. Uh, right. It's difficult, but you but, have basically perfect English, I would say, but I don't know. But, but it would be nice to see someone just, uh, speaking like, like, like Fumiyuki, uh, yeah. just seeing what he has to say would be Yeah, awful. absolutely. And absolutely. you're with him. So, so I'll try to make it happen. We'll yeah. Well, um, Maybe maybe we have some uh, some people in the in the noise scene that could uh, actually make themselves useful as translators. Yeah, definitely. I've I've heard I've had a few people make sort of such offers in other situations. So I think I, I, I when I originally had this idea to do a podcast, it actually came from the idea to start a zine, but I wanted the zine to be based on interviews transcribed from conversations from from audio conversations yeah um so i had reached out to some people about that and at that time i also reached out to um mordant karma the artist who did a tape on white centipede noise um quite a few years back and was kind of affiliated with uh, lust vessel and at that time i always communicated with him through lily vice um because of the language barrier um, so I'm, I want to see if something is possible nowadays with, I don't know, translating apps or whatever. Nah, just have Kushner do it. Who? Jason. Yeah, that's right. He has nothing yeah. to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Actually, that's a super idea. Awesome. He knows what it's about. Yeah, definitely. That would be, that's a great idea. Actually, it's perfect. Now available for pre-order, Mote Soundtrack to Engram CD. Engram is a feature-length film written and directed by Basha Napora and produced by White Centipede Noise, featuring an original soundtrack by Mote. The film was shot in the summer of 2021 on 16mm film and is currently in post-production for a spring 2022 release. All proceeds from the CD go directly to financing the film. Please visit whitecentipedenoise.com to learn more. All right, cool. Well, Tommy, I really appreciate you taking the time to answer my questions and to talk with me. I hope it wasn't too stressful to speak English and, great. and dig into some stuff. Um, people uh, reach out to Tommy. <laughs> He's available. <laughs> He's very friendly. Um, you also uh, You're also doing these tape reissues of the mania material, the Swedish yeah. mania material. Um, before we round, wrap it up here, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, well, Keith was, was a, was a long, long standing friend and, uh, and someone I really respect. Um, and we've, uh, yeah, we've been in touch since, since mid nineties. And, uh, when he, when he told me that he'd, uh, he was diagnosed with, um, cancer, my, my head was, my mind was rushing to, to, to figure out some way to, to, um, to generate funds for him because his, uh, his healthcare plan was, 
well, he wouldn't get any money from the um, from his health care plan in at least a couple of months. So it's a, a question of trying to uh, trying to get money pulled for him. Yeah, some yeah. funds uh, as soon Raise as some funds from quick. Yeah, and uh, I had some going through some ideas what what what, what could uh, generate funds quickly. And after a while, I realized that, well, Mania did some of the early tapes was on, on, on three Swedish labels, it was mine, and it was Fiamud and Harshhead Rituals. And uh, Dan had the master, uh, had the master tape, we used to dub, dub that tape. And uh, for Fiamud, he had the master CDR. I still had the master CDR for for the, the uh, Arizona Massacre tape, I don't know how this go. So it seemed like a good idea to to reissue those. They were all long out of print and uh, probably fetching collector prices and for people to, it would, it would be a good way for people to uh, spend money, get good noise and help out, help keep yeah. out. Yeah. And, um, we talked about it, and he was—he uh, was all, yeah. He—he he, um, he was happy to. Uh, he was happy about the uh, the idea to uh, to uh, to do these, and uh, we were in touch. And I told him about the progress and uh, cover layouts, printing covers, uh, dubbing tapes, and uh, then um, he suggested doing CDs. Even I said, ah, it's, it's going to take a while. Yeah. Um, I, I think we'd rather like to get some money as soon as possible. But uh, yeah, um, just the same day as I was finishing the, the print work for the covers, I, I'd emailed him a couple of days earlier and I didn't get a reply. And uh, just the, the next morning, I, I got the news that he'd already passed away. And of course, it was devastating news. And um, still think about him a whole lot, all the time. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, it took a while for me to to uh, to come to a conclusion what to do because releasing the tapes seemed seemed futile when he was no longer around. Uh, right. But also. Uh, I talked to 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 several friends about this. What what to do in this situation? And um, what what I figured was the best thing would be to uh, to just get the tapes out and uh, to keep them available and mm -hmm. sell them at, at a low price. So yep. I printed hundreds and hundreds of covers, and I have uh, I have tapes to last me a long time, and I'm still dubbing them. Uh, made flyers, and I've uh, tried to get the uh, the word out there. Um, yeah, I've you gave yeah. me a stack. Yeah, you gave me a stack of flyers, which I'm currently distributing in in cool. orders and packages, and I hope it's bringing some people your way. Yeah, I, I get I get emails every now and then from people that have uh, seen the flyers or just heard about the tapes from someone, and uh, it's just pure joy. Dubbing the tapes. Uh, I mean, I've listened to them so many times now that 
I just never get tired of it. It's awesome yeah. stuff. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's basically a no-profit affair. Yeah. It's keeping the tapes available and uh, getting them out there, it's, uh, well. Yeah, it's keeping it's his legacy. Like right? also in time for, for, for Keith's music because he yeah. just he he finished Taint and uh, you can you can really sense that he's he's moving on and trying out trying out new recording techniques new equipment yeah. new uh, new themes and ideas and it's uh, it's an interesting period in in time when it comes to uh, Keith Brewer's music for sure yeah definitely I love those early tapes and, yeah uh, yeah if people want them it's just send me an email and uh, I'll let you know. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we're going to sign off here. Thank you again, Tommy. Really appreciate it. And uh, talk to you later. Take care, man. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into White Centipede Noise podcast. Please hit the like button and subscribe to this channel. This podcast is made possible by viewer and listener support. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash white centipede noise.